Hello everybody and welcome back to Try Not To Stare, the podcast where I talk about mental health and disabilities and I get to interview a bunch of interesting people as well. So in today's episode I get to talk to my mum. So um, yeah, we just talk about her experience of raising a disabled child. Um, Obviously my sister has a disability as well, she's got dyslexia and dyspraxia and I'm also autistic but at the time, um, during childhood, we didn't know that I was officially autistic. I didn't get my diagnosis until I was 20. So I just thought it would be interesting to get my mum's perspective, how she dealt with um, what I was like growing up, the struggles. And also we talk about my eating disorder that I developed as a teenager as well and what it was like for my mum to watch her daughter go through something so difficult and just get her perspective on everything. So I do hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned. As always, I like to add a little disclaimer just to let everyone know that we will be talking about things like weight and eating disorders um, and things that might possibly trigger some people. So just bear that in mind and I do hope you enjoy the episode anyway. Okay, so here today on the Try Not To Stare podcast, we have my lovely mother. um, And today we're going to be talking about um, what it was like for her to raise uh, essentially a disabled child, even though I didn't have my diagnosis until um, I was an adult. And we're also going to be talking about how my mum dealt with my eating disorder Um, and any advice that she has for other parents out there that might be going through something similar. So, Mummy, if you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself to my listeners and just... Good evening, darling. Yes, Uh, I'm Caroline. I'm um, Charlotte's mum. I'm 58 now, Um, still gainfully employed. Um, Yeah, so so that's me. I've got another daughter who is older than Charlotte, so she's 27 now. Yeah, and uh, I'm married to John. Charlotte. <laughs> Fabulous, <laughs> lovely little introduction to yourself. So, if we just get straight into it and talk about the juicy stuff, so <laughs> let's talk <laughs> about me as a child because obviously my memory is going to be different to yours. Um, I don't really remember too much. <laughs> obviously, I had a really great childhood and everything like that. But let's talk about like my behaviour as a child. What differences did you notice in me when I was younger or as a baby? Well, well, first of all, you, your, your arrival was a big shock because you obviously arrived very early, um, mm. which um, came as a huge surprise and, and a bit of a shock. Mm. And, um, and after a couple of days of trying to slow down, the um the birth pangs and all the rest of it they the there was no there was no holding you back you were going to be born Hmm. um so I mean luckily for you you were you know two and a half pounds when you were born um my only um sight of you my enduring memory was when when the uh, consultant obviously was an emergency cesarean but when the, the consultant took you took you out of me I could see your tiny little arms and legs kicking away Mm. and you were whisked away straight away to an incubator um 
and intubated, but you, your lungs were really quite strong and you were only intubated for, for a day and a half. Mm. Um, but you were in the special care baby unit for about eight weeks. And when we eventually brought you home, you were four pounds. Wow. So tiny, tiny baby, um, very, very cute. Um, <laughs> you didn't have that typical um, premature baby look about you. You know, you were, you were very dainty and just really, really pretty. Hmm. And everybody commented about how tiny you were. And, you know, you, you were a great baby. You were very happy and, and all of that. And then I think I first noticed your kind of really strong will when you were kind of weaning and hmm. you really didn't want any help from any, you, you know, you were quite feisty hmm. as a youngster and, and, um, you know, very kind of independent in a way uh, for someone so tiny mm. um, uh, and I think we first noticed that there were a few issues when you got to about I don't know well potty training for a start you, you were a bit yeah. slow potty training that that was <laughs> that, that was quite <laughs> noticeable um, took quite a few years for you to to get the proper hang of that yeah but um, you 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 were really difficult to put to sleep of a night time like um mm. you'd you'd always insist on you know being stroked for hours we had a little routine dad and I we would you know read stories have your bath time we read stories and have lights out but that wasn't enough for you you were constantly up and down up and down mm. until eventually it would mean I would have to sit there for at least an hour <laughs> stroking your forehead and just you know keeping you calm until you eventually you fell off to sleep hmm. um and yeah you were you know you were an energetic child really really you know happy and you were into sports and gymnastics and things like that um so we didn't really have any thought that you, there was anything different about you when when you were you know tiny and when you started school and things like that um but you always had a kind of quirky kind of sense of humour, mm. uh, which was always a little bit different to everybody else. And you'd say things that were a little bit off the wall. And we always just laugh because we, we, you know, we wonder where you'd get it from. Um, yeah, so very, very quirky sense of humour. And kind of that set you apart a little bit from, you know, your peers in your class and... Um, you had obsessions about things I remember mm. that um, you'd have obsessions over um, in those days it was videos yeah so you're cartoon videos you'd have one or two that I had to play constantly <laughs> uh, to the point where I knew I literally knew every word uh, I think it was the Peter Pan one that you were mm. you were really into at that stage and it was literally every night and I used to laugh to my mum and say oh no in fact put Peter Pan on again for Charlotte <laughs> And I, I would just literally be going around the room, repeating your, you know, silently mouthing the words to this, <laughs> to this Peter Pan video because it was on so often. Mm. Um, yeah, so there was that. And you had little obsessions over uh, your, your little blankets you, and oh, yeah. one or two toys. And there was a little uh, rag doll and your teddy bears they were like real people to you you know you were like mm -hmm. really obsessed with them 
and I remember we lost one one time and oh, it was you'd think murder had happened in the house it was like screaming and we had to search high and low until your dad remembered you dropped it in a, in a playgroup um so he had to go around there later in the evening to see if he could retrieve this thing because none of us would get any sleep otherwise mm. um so yeah so that that was a little bit different you know you were a little bit a little bit out there you know and very um independent as to what you wanted to wear as well whereas Ariane was always very easy to dress and no issue at all you were very very insistent on the things that you were going to wear and no one could change your mind so it was that you always knew your own mind sort of thing and I remember where she got into your um you know junior years in primary school I used to say to my mum you know I don't know Charlotte's she's a little bit odd she's I don't know if there's something wrong with her and my mum used to just keep saying to me no no don't put a label on it she's fine she's just a little bit different to everybody else Mm. um you know she'll grow out of it and we all thought that you know that's what would happen yeah um you didn't really grow out of it instead you 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 know you've got a little bit if anything a little bit more obsessive about things um and when harry potter came along well i mean that was another thing that you absolutely obsessed over yeah so you didn't like when i was younger you didn't think that i might be autistic was that really a thing back then like it was not it wasn't really like known was it back then i don't think i mean yeah certainly autism i i, I was aware of autism yeah um but i don't think i was aware of the broad spectrum of what autism could be um you know and the range the different ranges of behaviors because to me my children were perfect you know um I couldn't imagine them being disabled in any way and I and although I had an inkling that you were a little bit different and there was something wrong Mm. um I always just pushed that back in my mind because you were so capable you know you were fantastic at gymnastics Mm. um you were really sporty and 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 for me that was just such a relief because you'd been so premature you know that we'd always we were frightened that you might have had some sort of physical disability so the fact that you were able to do all of that and you were quite clever as well you know your reading and writing was um I think it took a little while for your writing to come along but imagination you were fantastic with your imagination you and your sister could play for hours um you know with an imaginary game well that's it's interesting to hear because when I was what I remember of being younger like obviously I really struggled with maths um I still struggle with maths um and like I couldn't I couldn't tell the time I still well I can tell the time now but it takes me a long time to work out which is why I just don't bother anymore (laughs) um but also like I remember tying my shoelaces that I really couldn't figure that out and I remember one summer over like summer holidays I remember dad like literally spent hours trying to teach me how to tie my laces with those like scooby-doo things and he yeah that's true make yeah. me tie it on my foot and then he would like say like bunny rabbit ears and try and make it like fun for me to yeah. remember um yeah. and even still it's something that I do struggle with still I can tie my laces obviously but it's something that I just it takes me 
a while to do like if somebody was to tell me to like quickly tie a knot on something I would still have to do those two bunny ears and it would take me a bit of fumbling around to do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but for like reading and writing obviously that's gotten a lot better and like it's one of the things that I do like the best in at uni I'm quite good at writing yeah Um, I think that's something that I've definitely overcome yeah Um, no you're right I do remember (laughs) playing all those times tables CDs and tapes to you and Ariane constantly um, trying to help you with your maths and yeah you were absolutely terrible with with your maths and I did have several meetings with your teachers um, over that sort of thing Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and telling the time as well you know I used to try and do you remember I used to buy all those WH Smith um, Mm. extracurricular books you know and the BBC Bytes stuff and all of that. And we used yeah, to try and help you to learn to tell the time and to do your maths and things like that. But you you, you never wanted to sit and, mm. you know, it, it was difficult to tie you down because you didn't want to sit in one place for very long mm. and you got bored easily. So I used to just put it down to that, that, you know, you your mind was off somewhere else and you, you really didn't want to spend the time mm. to try and learn something that you knew you, you weren't very good at. So um, hmm. now it's difficult as well because, you know, as a full time uh, working mum, I didn't have all the time in the world, you know, to, to kind of train you or things like that. So, um, yeah. yeah, no, I do. I do remember that you had difficulty with that. Yeah. Did the teachers say that maybe I was autistic or um, I had something, maybe a disability? Um, like they did with Ariane? No, it was quite the opposite. I mean, even with Ariane, um, the last thing the school wanted to have to deal with was a child with special education needs. I had to fight tooth and nail to get Ariane help with her dyslexia. Um, And then when it came to you and your problems with maths, the teachers just didn't really want to know, Mm. you know, um, because don't forget you were like one of, was it 30 in a class? And, and, you know, I appreciate budgets were tight in schools. And, and so they had limited spaces for um, special education needs. I mean, you did get that. Eventually, we did get you that um, when you got to secondary school. But uh, certainly in primary school, um, I, I, I did raise it with your teachers. In fact, you, you know, teachers would say you were behind. But there was, they weren't forthcoming with any help hmm. other than just you know practice this practice that it it was all it was the parents job really which you know I was a full-time working mum I didn't have that amount of time Mm. Um, yeah definitely and like as I've said and I've told my listeners before um I was diagnosed at 20 and it was something that me and my husband decided just to do because I just wanted to know what was wrong with me after all this time of like just just wondering and being like what there is something off I want to know like what it is and just feeling a bit like lost Mm. in the world and like I do this Mm. but I don't even know why um Mm. were you surprised when I was diagnosed as autistic or did you think it was something else um actually no I wasn't surprised um I'd always been of the opinion that 
I didn't want to put a label on anything. I didn't want to disadvantage you in the world by labeling you as autistic or disabled. Um, because I was, I was frightened that that might impede your, you know, opportunities in life and prevent you from flourishing. And that was the last thing I wanted. Yeah. Um, so it was in the back of my mind that there might have been something wrong. But I always hoped, and I was, I'm, my mum always used to say, oh, she'll grow out of it. You know, um, so we always thought it was a phase you were going through or you were just a little bit odd and we just were just going to accept it, you know. Um, so so to be honest with you, no, I, I wasn't really surprised when when you were given that diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so then you mentioned earlier that um, you had to like stroke me for hours before bedtime and um, yeah. I was a little bit difficult sometimes and now I understand them to be meltdowns obviously they would have just looked like like tantrums really how did you um, overcome them the like meltdowns with me and how did you like like help me I guess through them um it's, well, it's difficult as a parent, isn't it? Because you, sometimes you don't know if your child's displaying just deliberate naughty behaviour or if it is an actual meltdown. Because I wouldn't have known hmm. what, what an autistic meltdown as such was, you know, when you were younger. Um, but whenever you were distressed, you know, the, the only thing that I could think to do would to just hold you you know and calm you down by stroking your forehead um sit you on my lap you know give you a cuddle and just kind of wait for it to subside I think that's interesting that you said that um because even still like now when I have a meltdown Ben strokes me and until it's gone or I'll have Leo or something but I think it's interesting because that might have been something that's stayed with me like my mum comforting me and like now yeah. when I have a meltdown my husband comforting me in that way and um mm. even like when I because I get like really twitchy at night like my foot like you know when just things just go through your head and like you just can't turn off and like I just get really anxious at night and that mm. must have been what I was experiencing as a child just feeling like all the emotions from the day and then I, I still do that now and um, so then Ben actually strokes me for, for hours until until I end uh -huh. up falling asleep, bless him. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of the only things that will help calm me down. And I wonder if it's because it's something that I that you used to do as as a child. And it's like comforting, like yeah. my mum's yeah, there. <laughs> Yeah, and I think um, familiar things, you know, you your your blanket that you used to um, rub between your thumb and forefinger <laughs> all the time, and um, you know your teddy bears would be like real people sort of thing, comforting mm. you as well, that sort of thing. Yeah, I remember that um, blanket because I've got a thing for textures, and the blanket that Mum's talking about, it, it was kind of like um like a knitted blanket but then it had like this silky stripe on the end and I just yeah, it was like a silky ribbon on the end yeah, yeah. 
and I used to just like rub the silky part for ages and like I would cuddle up to this blanket and then one day how old was I when that thing died but I literally had a square of it left it just like disintegrated yeah I think you were well into your into um junior school by the time it had hmm. eventually because we kind of we had to sew it together because it came became so manky and <laughs> you know torn and stuff like that yeah hmm. um so I, I wanted to ask you what it was like um for you and also if maybe you can speak for dad as well raising two disabled children obviously you didn't know I was disabled but looking back on it now yeah I mean it was it was stressful I mean dyslexia I is different in 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 as much well Ariane did have some other phobias as well um and I think you display some of these as well your phobia of speaking to somebody on the phone so yes. Ariane has that phobia as well she's very you know frightened of, of talking to people on the phone um I don't know just maybe at times frustrating but on the whole you know feel very very lucky you know two gorgeous young ladies in our life you know you're you're two beautiful daughters and, <laughs> and we feel very very lucky um despite you know um disabilities but yeah I mean at times stressful but overall you know fantastic yeah well that's good to hear um so moving on now because I wanted to talk a little bit about um my eating disorder which developed when I was in college so I was going to fashion college in London and mm. um I just kind of I don't really remember how it started but it just maybe it was because of like the industry and I was young and like when you have autism as well you um you tend to have other mental health issues as well I just started struggling with food and um like restricting myself a lot and um I guess with autism as well I have food aversions and some things I don't like some days some things I do Hmm. um when did you notice that I was really struggling with food and my eating and like exercising yeah I think it was like you say that um towards the middle of that first year at your fashion college after you'd left school um you you become obsessed with your appearance you kept going on about thigh gaps all the time which was I thought was really stupid but you know um and because you were in fashion you felt that even though you're only a size 10 or at your worst I think a 12 um you thought you were massive and you know you kept going on about how big you were and I I was constantly trying to say to you you're not big Mm. um but you obviously would fixate on these models that you would see displayed in all the fashion magazines and things like that um and then you began being really restrictive about your food you went on about I don't know if it was veganism or something at that time so you weren't eating meat um uh and you were you were eating only a few food groups and you'd weigh things like cucumber um you know or carrots or or something 
that's got no calorific value you would be weighing them and hmm. and I and I would get really worried over that um yeah yeah so when you like started to realize what was your like first thought what did you like think to do to try and like seek help or but I think by that stage we'd already started you'd already started with the counselling hadn't you with the um yeah uh, CAS wasn't it the CAMS. Um, children CAMS yeah yeah because you'd started you'd you'd began self-harming and things like that yeah I was doing own. that in um at the end of secondary school secondary school so I was yeah. referred to CAMS maybe yeah. last two years three years of secondary school last, and then yeah, last yeah and then when I um went into college I was what 17 and so I only had a little bit of time left with cams before I had to be like moved on elsewhere because I wasn't a teenager anymore but I remember raising it when we were in that office at cams and saying that I was worried about your eating because you're becoming very restrictive and I remember they started weighing you Hmm. uh, when you were there um, and then you had your last session because you were leaving school and going on to college. Um, so I raised it with your GP and said, well, I was worried because you you did begin to lose weight um, and became a bit gaunt in the face. And I remember we were going on that holiday to Cyprus, do you remember? Yeah. And you were tiny, you know, um, mm yeah really worried about it so they your the doctor then referred us to that eating clinic in um Kensington and Chelsea yeah Mm. yeah Um, I remember like didn't we see a GP at some point as well I think was it before I went to Kensington and Chelsea hospital we saw like just um like a, a random GP because you were like worried about my weight and if there any anything else could be done or something and I remember like sitting there and he was like well why are you doing this you're too young you can't you can't be feeling like this sure and mm. basically just saying I'm too young to have mental health issues or I'm too young to like have an eating disorder and well why don't you just eat and stuff like that and I remember it just sticking in my mind like he was just like just have a cheeseburger like and I yeah. just thought well it's not that easy because I'm like gripped by this eating disorder where I feel like I literally can't eat anything and if I do I have to exercise loads or like Mm. I was just so like I need to like get under a certain weight or like and even when I got under that weight it was just more and more um but yeah so we started going to Chelsea and Westminster Hospital and um in that time after I think it was after we went to um Cyprus is I kind of the people the doctors were like oh I should they kind of gave me an ultimatum was like you need to try and eat more foods and um by next week we want to see that you've gained some weight um Mm. so like try eating some like Ben and Jerry's or something so I remember doing that and then after Cyprus something just kind of snapped in me and all of a sudden I'd gone complete opposite way and I developed um binge yeah. eating disorder yes, disorder yeah. and bulimia yeah. so yeah. I then when I was in uh, Chelsea and Westminster it was more about trying to break 
the bulimia and binge eating instead of yeah. treat the anorexia yeah, yeah. So, I wondered whether it was we were staying in that hotel and they had the um it was all inclusive wasn't it, it was <laughs> the buffet. and you and your sister would go back and forth to the dessert um table sort of thing trying yeah. all the different desserts and because you'd always you'd always had an obsession with chocolate that was the other thing mm. you'd always loved chocolate throughout your life and um it was almost like there was that switch there okay well um instead of starving myself I'm just gonna eat all these desserts sort of thing. everything yeah it was, um, it was weird because I remember the first night in Cyprus and I'd eaten I'd gone from eating absolutely nothing and then flying to Cyprus and then that first night I just filled up on everything it was like my body was like ah give me all the food yeah and then yeah. I remember just being sick because I was I just could my stomach was so small I just couldn't handle it and I just felt so ill after that yeah but yeah I just thought it was like it's a bit weird how it just switched all of a sudden from anore- anorexia to binge eating disorder and we ended up having to pay for a private therapist to try and help me after yes. I'd been discharged from the hospital yeah yeah um which was difficult I remember you would like have to check my bag when I'd come home because I'd be like sneaking food in and um yeah I'd check your bin in your room and there was always like chocolate wrappers and yeah popcorn and things like that, that you yeah. would be snaffling into your room without me seeing and mm. It's difficult because when somebody's got an eating disorder, you don't want to make a big thing of it. Yeah. You know, you want to try and um, normalise food and, and not have any drama around it. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was hard. But I think the therapy did help. Um, speaking to that therapist at the Kensington Chelsea Hospital, um, mm. and particularly because it was somebody that you connected with, you quite liked that lady yeah uh, you were able to speak more freely with her and um yeah I think that did help yeah I think one thing that I found really not helpful throughout my whole like teenagehood into adulthood dealing with all these problems was I always felt abandoned by these therapists and like I would finally find a, th- a therapist that I really liked and I'd tell them my whole life story everything that's gone gone on with me and then all of a sudden they would leave and then I'd have, I would have to start again with somebody else and it was just like I can't just keep doing this like you might get somebody that's not so nice um and I just felt yeah. like it was just a never-ending cycle of a therapist having to tell my whole life story and um never really getting anywhere so I think things only really changed um when I met Ben and um I suppose like my whole perspective on everything changed and I was just in love yeah. and like yeah <laughs> but um how did you deal with that time whilst I was battling all these different eating disorders what was going through your head and what like kind of concerns did you have yeah just just really worried you know worried for your health and um wondering when it was going to end um you know and, and would you end up being hospitalized that was something that used to worry me and I would whenever we used to go there do you remember you would see those poor usually ladies that were hospitalized and and how 
the eating disorder had ravaged their bodies and things and you know and I was just just really really worried because I thought I I really don't want to see you go through that yeah you know so that was really stressful um and um what was it like seeing your child go through something that you didn't really have much control over um again it's it's stressful because as an you know as a mother all you want to do is make things better yeah um and solve the problem I always wanted to solve your problems and you know give you a solution and um I remember for quite a long time I do a lot of research into depression and um read self-help books um I even thought at one point I'd go and do a degree in counseling um Mm -hmm. you know I was always searching for answers and trying to find a a, a fix you know because it's it's hard not being able to do something to you know help your child yeah so yeah that's very very difficult as a mother yeah I suppose maybe it feels somewhat like helpless because your child is going through something that they don't even understand themselves and maybe you don't know how to help them and yeah nothing is working and it just yeah especially for me because like my whole teenagehood really childhood was absolute bliss but then as soon as year seven came it was just it went downhill quite fast and um my life just changed really like going from Mm. this like quite popular girl in primary school no cares in the world and then year seven and I'm being bullied terribly and I have all these like um body image issues and things and like self-harm and all that kind of stuff it it seems like it was just like a turmoil I guess and yeah it was really hard and it's really hard as a parent seeing your daughter go through all of that Hmm. um yeah um and particularly if you're you know I was working shifts as well I I, you know and it, it I I think I don't I often look back and wonder how I actually got through that period of our lives yeah I really don't know how I did it yeah um it was just so incredibly stressful yeah I can Uh, imagine yeah do you have any tips for any parents that might be listening that maybe um are dealing with uh like maybe their child has autism or um maybe their child is being bullied or whatever it may be the topics that we've covered do you have any advice for parents I think really if you can if your child will if you've got that relationship where you can talk with your child then really listen to what your child is saying yeah um and don't assume it's something that they're going to grow out of and that it's just a phase you know try to take it a bit try to take it seriously and I don't know if things would have been any different had we got you diagnosed any earlier um Mm. but at least we might have had access to more to more funding to more help um when you were going through secondary school yeah um so um but yeah um don't kind of demonize your child and think that they're just being naughty sometimes there is you know mental health issues behind it Mm. yeah I would agree with that actually I would say if you think maybe your child is autistic 
just to take the time to really understand what emotions they're going through because even as an adult I find it hard to express my emotions in a socially acceptable way and like just to understand what's going on in my body but um the older I get the like the more knowledge I have about what's going on and I think being diagnosed for me has been a big relief because I can learn more about it and um just put my finger on why I'm doing certain things um and in terms of depression and my self-harm and eating disorders it's something that you um like they say you can need a horse to water but you can't make it drink like you have to find the strength within yourself to figure out what's going on and um just overcome it yourself because nobody else can do it for you um no matter how many therapists you see that give you coping mechanisms you have to be the one to figure it out and it might take you longer than others and of honestly it's something that's um I never really feel like it's fully gone um but I just deal with it and I have those coping mechanisms that therapists and family and friends have given me and that I've learned along the way but yeah it just takes time I think yeah I think so so I think that's all we've got time for in today's episode thank you so much for joining me mama really it's a pleasure my darling So what did you think of this podcast? I thought it was really interesting getting my mum's perspective on what I was like as a child and what she thought might have been going on with me. I do want to say that when my mum says um, there might be, she thought there might be something wrong with me, she doesn't mean wrong um, in that sense. She just means like different or something that I was struggling with. Um, So I don't want that to be kind of misconstrued as meant as anything then than what it is so um yeah but I just want to say a massive thank you to my mum um for doing this podcast I really thought it was interesting seeing her side of things and um the struggles that she went through as well trying to help me through everything so thank you to mum and stay tuned for the next episode guys